You're listening to Parenting Our Future. I'm parenting expert, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in all different areas of your parenting so you can create strong connections with your kids, get all the cooperation you want, and live a life that is full of joy and connection. And by the way, the tools and solutions that you're looking for in your parenting don't just live in each episode of my show. They're also in my free membership site, The Parent Toolbox, where you can access tools created by myself and my brilliant guests that cover everything from helping your kids to sleep, managing meltdowns, reducing overwhelm to getting your kids to listen the first time and so much more. Join the Parent Toolbox so you can download and use the tools that are ready on the site and Each week, a brand new tool is added. And of course, the best part is it's absolutely free to join and to stay in. You can go to www.parent-toolbox.com today. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to share with you another podcast that I think you're going to find really interesting. It's called Didn't I Just Feed You? It's a weekly candid conversation about feeding our families, even for parents who hate to cook. Hosts Stacey Billis and Megan Splawn are two food professionals who get real about feeding kids, tweens, and teens because they're also busy working moms, so they get it. They talk about how to turn things like nachos into a legit family dinner, to the magic of meatballs, to solving the after-school snack problem, even reducing kitchen waste and debt all at once. They chat with guests from Food Network stars to everyday moms who, let's be honest, are the real experts. In fact, Didn't I Just Feed You is a staple on the iTunes Top 100 Food Podcasts and the only food podcast made with parents in mind. Stacey and Megan are on a mission to make cooking easier, more delicious, and maybe even a little bit more fun. Find Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Now, you can also find Stacey and Megan on Instagram and Facebook as at Didn't I Just Feed You. Now let's dive into this next episode of Parenting Our Future. Hello, everybody. It's Robin McMahon here. Welcome to another episode of Parenting Our Future. And I have a really important guest that I know all of you want to hear from. No matter what side you're on, no matter what you think of COVID-19 and what is going on in the world right now, I really want you to listen to my expert here, who is Dr. Sarah Madad. And she is one of the world's most foremost experts. She is internationally recognized as a public health leader and epidemiologist in infectious disease and special pathogen preparedness and response. She's the senior director system-wide special pathogens program that is at the New York City Health and Hospitals and the nation's largest municipal health healthcare delivery system overseeing special pathogen preparedness and emergency response efforts across 11 acute care hospitals. She is also the f- a fellow at Harvard Kennedy School, Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs, where she regularly publishes and leads a science communication series on COVID-19. 
In addition to that, Dr. Madad also plays one of the leading roles in the Emmy-nominated Netflix docuseries Pandemic, How to Prevent an Outbreak, which follows a handful of leaders throughout the world on the front lines to prevent the next COVID outbreak. She also is pro- predominantly featured in the 2021 documentary, or sorry, Discovery documentary, The Vaccine, Conquering COVID with Dr. Anthony Fauci, Francis Collins, and other leading scientists. So thank you so much for being here, Dr. Madad. I'm really, really happy to talk to you. My pleasure. This is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, both because, you know, I'm an infectious disease epidemiologist working to combat the pandemic, but also as a mother of three. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's really important because who I'm talking to is parents here. And this is, you know, as if parenting wasn't hard enough, then we have to be faced with these kinds of issues. And so, you know, first and foremost, let's sort of talk about this flu season and how how does the flu season impact what's happening with COVID? Well, flu, very similar to COVID, is a respiratory virus, but they're both very different viruses. And while their initial signs and symptoms may be very similar, like a child can have flu-like illness, fever, cough, you know, runny nose, things like that, sometimes it's hard to tell whether they have COVID-19 or the virus that causes COVID-19 or flu. And one of the reasons why we're concerned, you know, given kind of the the current situation that we're in is that we are seeing flu activity pick up, you know, generally across the nation. And when you have people gathering indoors in mixed gatherings, that can spread the flu virus as well as COVID-19. And so we have a safe and effective vaccine for both. So for flu and for COVID-19, And the best way to protect yourself, your children, and those around you is to get vaccinated. Absolutely. So you, you are also a mom, right? And you have three kiddos yourself. And so you're also vaccinating your children then? That's right. So actually my children have been vaccinated both for flu and for COVID-19. So for flu, um, we got them vaccinated, you know, sometime in kind of middle of October, but it's always good to get your child vaccinated for those six months and older, you know, um, whether it's now uh, or whether you got it, got them vaccinated before. The the big thing is that we want to make sure people build that vaccine induced immunity, for example, for flu before, you know, flu is very prevalent in your community because now you're safeguarded, you know, when there's a lot of virus to encounter, but it's always good. Even if you didn't get it before, go ahead and get it now or whenever is convenient um, for you. Now, my two boys who are eligible uh, in that five to 11 age category also got their COVID-19 vaccine um, recently. But if you're planning uh, on getting them both, um, you can actually get them both at the same time. So co-administration actually is possible. So if you want to get them vaccinated against COVID-19 and flu, you can go ahead and make an appointment and see if that clinic offers it and you can get them both in one shot. Well, in, same time, not the same shot, but oh, you know, okay. Okay. Time. No, that's yeah. good to know. Okay. So two, yeah. two pokes, but, uh, but you get, you, you get that. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, so, be, so because the, the, the flu virus is respiratory, is that why you would also want to get the regular flu shot as well as the, the COVID vaccine? Right. Well, there's different reasons, really, and and similar reasons to get both. First, you know, I said, again, there are different viruses and flu is something that we see every single year and it does impact children. It does impact adults and elderly. You do see, unfortunately, child, uh, you know, pediatric hospitalizations and death with flu every single year. And so Mm -hmm. that's why we want to make sure that we are protecting them. 
and giving them the, the flu vaccine every year once you know it's made um, available. So this is something, again, that we see every year and that we advocate uh, and we try to ensure that people have the best information uh, to make a decision to get their child vaccinated and their cell vaccinated against flu. Now with COVID-19, again, that's in the middle of a pandemic, um, another respiratory virus. And uh, if you look at the data, uh, children in particular, you know, have also been disproportionately affected by this pandemic. Uh, they can get infected, they can spread the virus. It has, um, you know, resulted in quite a bit of hospitalizations. If we're just looking at the total pediatric age group under the age of 18, you're seeing over 65,000 hospitalizations in that, in that uh, age group uh, total. Uh, you have seen deaths, you know, being reported. So I just, I wanna make sure, you know, we are obviously talking about flu and COVID. They're two very yeah. separate viruses. They both have very separate, you know, they have two, two separate vaccines, but it's important that you do get vaccinated for both. Mm, okay. So what do you say to the parent who is nervous and uh, doesn't want to vaccinate their child? This is for flu or for COVID? I want uh, to make sure we're well, being very clear which one. So, I mean, obviously I can talk about both, but I just want to make sure which one. Yeah, you, want you know, my question was really for COVID, but I think there's also the question about the flu as well. You know, I, you know, it's, it's hard to ask that question because to me it makes sense. And so, uh, so yeah, why don't you talk about both if you don't mind? Yeah, well, I think the end result right now is we want to make sure that we're protecting children, right? And one pediatric childhood death is unacceptable, especially when you have, you know, when you have vaccines that are safe and effective. Now, again, whether you're talking about flu or whether you're talking about COVID-19, you know, we want to make sure that we are enabling children to live their healthiest life possible and not to suffer from illness, not to suffer from severe outcomes, from disease, from requiring hospitalization, and even from dying from these types of diseases. And so the best way to protect them is when you have a safe and effective vaccine is to get vaccinated. And so as we look at flu season, again, uh, reiterating what I had mentioned before, mm. you know, we are uh, we are in flu season, you're starting to see flu activity pick up, people are going to be congregating indoors, holiday season is around the corner. So there's obviously more risk of um, getting infected and spreading it to others, as well as in the school setting, right? So children obviously are going and congregating in schools. And so we want to make sure we're protecting them. Very similarly with COVID-19. Now that we have a vaccine eligible for all of those um, over the age of five, if you look at both clinical trial data and then real world results, you're seeing that first these vaccines are safe. Just looking at the safety profile first in the clinical trials, you're seeing that um, you know, no severe adverse side effects were reported and children did, uh, you know, um, generate a robust um, immune response and the vaccine for COVID-19 was tolerable. Now, if you look at real world rollout of this vaccine in this age group of just five to 11, you're seeing over 3 million children have already gotten their first doses and no safety signals have been uh, raised, which shows that the vaccine is safe and effective. My children, myself, as I mentioned recently, did get the COVID-19 vaccine. They're about 50, you know, 48 to 50 hours out from their uh, vaccination appointment or getting the vaccine, and they feel great. Um, they didn't even experience a sore arm or anything like that. So oh, wow. we, we're used to providing you know, vaccines to children on a routine basis. There's over, over 16 you know, uh, routine childhood vaccinations. This is just part COVID-19, for example, is just part of a part of that now. And again, the end goal is we want to protect our children and that is the safest way to do so. Right. So, and, and what I heard you say is there's 3 million children that have had this vaccine and you're not seeing any side effects that are, that are in the danger zone, anything like that. Right. I don't have the right the vocabulary for it. So, so <laughs> sorry. 
Yeah, so the three million are the are the five to eleven uh, age. That's right. Obviously, millions more obviously have gotten the vaccine for those you know twelve to sixteen and sixteen to eighteen. But I am just mentioning right now, given obviously the 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 new rollout for the pediatric COVID nineteen vaccine for the five to eleven, you're seeing about three million children in that particular age group that have gotten the COVID nineteen vaccine. That's right. Yes, thank you for clarifying that. Yes, I have two teen boys, uh, and they have both been doubly vaxxed. So yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying. So for this new rollout. And how is, is this vaccine any different for these children, five to 11? Is there a smaller dose? Is there, you know, is there any difference? Yeah, so the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for children in the 5 to 11 age group is 10 microgram, which is about a third of the dose for adolescents and adults. And as we look at these immunobridging, you know, studies that were done, uh, for this particular um, age group, you're seeing that they wanted to get to kind of that sweet spot. And what I mean by that sweet spot is you want to get to, you know, what is the best dose? What's the minimal uh, or the lowest dose that you can give to children that elicits a good immune response and is tolerable? And that's how they were able to get to that 10 um, microgram uh, dosage, because they did see that um, even with this smaller dosage, you were still able to generate a very robust um, immune response comparable mm-hmm. to, you know, the, you know, the 16 plus um, age group and that very minimal side effects, as you see with any vaccine after an appointment, whether it's a sore arm mm-hmm. or you're feeling a little fatigue or, you know, you have a, 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 a fever afterwards, um, you know, that was, it was very much tolerable um, in that age group. Okay. So that's, that's great to know. So it's, it's about a third of the amount and um, it's tolerable. You said your kids didn't even have a sore arm uh, and, and will they need two doses of it? And what about a booster? Right. So the, the COVID-19 vaccine for this age group is two doses, 21 days apart and booster dose at this time, um, you know, is not part of that primary series. So it's just the two doses, 21 days apart. Okay. So you talk about how to prepare parents before, during, and after their vaccination of their child. So can you share a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah. So, you know, very similarly, uh, very similar to, you know, other vaccination appointments that you have for your child, whether you're taking them for their annual flu shot, or if you're taking them now for the COVID-19 vaccine, I think there's some general, you know, tips that parents tend to go by. So the first is, you know, want to make sure your child has a snack beforehand. So if you're like my kids, that as soon as they get in the car, they're hungry, they want a <laughs> snack. Um, but then when they also go to the pediatrician's office and they see, you know, uh, a needle, they get a little afraid and sometimes they get anxious, nervous, and that can, you know, um, sometimes, you know, make them vomit because they're so anxious and, 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 and yeah. nervous. And so what I like to do is I like to give them a snack beforehand so that it kind of helps quell that anxiety and nervousness. Also make sure that they're hydrated. They're also wearing loose clothing because obviously you're going to expose the arm uh, to get the to get the injection. So wearing loose clothing, something that's not, you know, where they have to take it off. There's multiple layers. So something some, something that's easy and accessible um, and just giving them that prepped up ahead of time, you know, whether it's in the car or whether it's, you know, just a few minutes before getting that that vaccine to say, hey, you're about to get a, uh, you know, you're about to get a vaccine. It's only going to hurt for, you know, one or two seconds. It's like a very quick pinch and then you're protected. So they know really what to expect. But it's one of those things that every parent knows their child. So whether you want to give that advance notice or whether you just want to say, hey, look the other way and they're going to get that job. That's completely up to you. But then after they get the COVID-19 vaccine, you want to make sure that they're still at that clinic for about 15 minutes or 30 minutes if your child has a history of you know, severe allergic reactions or any type of allergic reaction. 
just go ahead and stay put, you know, for that 15 to 30 minute um, time period. Um, and then afterwards, after getting the vaccine, as we know, things to expect, they may have a sore arm, they may, you know, have a fever or a headache. Um, you know, these are just temporary or transient um, symptoms that you they can experience, you know, for one to up to two or three days, completely normal. It just shows that you're the child's immune system is building, um, you know, that antibody response. And even if they don't experience any symptoms like my children, that doesn't mean that they're not generating a good immune response. It just means everybody's body is different, but just to be prepared for that. So this may mean that if you're going to give them, uh, get a vaccine appointment during the work week, that may mean that you have to take off the next day if your child is not, you know, feeling great after the vaccination. So just be prepared for that. And so the last is, you know, CDC has this vSafe app. So it helps uh, let you know, so it's a, it's a mobile app that you can download. And it gives you a reminder of when your second appointment is. If your child doesn't experience any side effects, you can let CDC know, they help uh, with tracking that. So it's just a really great way to provide um, information to our public health partners and also to get, um, you know, some safety tips afterwards for yourself. And then the last thing is, you know, you know that, you know, the way that these vaccines work is that a full, um, uh, full vaccination uh, is after the second dose. Um, and so your child, uh, you know, will not get that full protection until getting that second dose in two weeks after. So what this means is that you want to continue with these um, COVID-19 prevention measures like wearing a mask and in indoor spaces, mixed gatherings. Um, you know, being mindful of higher risk activities because certainly they are so vulnerable until they get that full uh, full protection after the second dose two weeks after. Okay. Okay. That's great. Uh, that's so helpful. Thank you for that. And you said the app is called V, V is in victory safe? V safe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's great. And then to let the CDC know, uh, as you know, I'm Canadian, so I'm sure there's slightly different protocol here, which, uh, which is not that different f- for sure. There's lots of information out, uh, where, where I live about this as well. And so, um, let's talk for a moment about natural immunity versus vaccine induced immunity, because, you know, that's something I hear a lot. And, uh, I, I know there are, there's just a lot of fear there. And I think that, it's one thing to to vaccinate yourself as a as an adult. It's another thing to vaccinate your child, right? And so, uh, what what do you say about natural immunity and even boosting your immunity with vitamins and you know other natural remedies versus getting the vaccine? Well, I think those first two points. Um, I wouldn't even call it natural immunity. I would call it infection induced because the way that you got that immunity is by getting infected and then generating that antibody response. Um, but I think before we even talk about, you know, infection induced immunity versus vaccine induced, um, I think that everybody wants to be healthy, right? So when you're healthy, you have a better chance of fighting off whether it's a viral infection, a bacterial infection, you know, anything that, you know, you may come across, you know, in, in the world, whether it's an infectious disease or non-infectious disease, being healthy is always a good thing, right? You're starting from a healthy state and your immune, uh, your immune response, um, hopefully, is more robust and stronger. So what does it mean to be healthy? It means that obviously you're eating healthy, you're exercising, obviously, if you want to take vitamins to help, you know, boost your immunity, that's great. That's not going to prevent you from getting infected. That's not going to prevent you from potentially having a severe outcome per se. Um, But these are good tips generally to keep, uh, to keep healthy. So that way, um, unfortunately, if you do encounter the virus, hopefully you're vaccinated, but if you're not, 
then you have you know a bit of a, a, a better outcome, uh, clinical outcome, if you will. So that's the one thing I'll say on that. The second, as we talk about infection-induced immunity, again, mm-hmm. as the word implies, that means that unfortunately you were infected with a virus. And now what this means is that you may suffer from acute illness. This, this means you know, you're going to potentially come down with signs and symptoms. You may not feel well. It may require hospitalization. You may require oxygen supplementation or ICU level care. Things can obviously uh, get out of hand uh, from from that point on. Potentially, you may also risk yourself from dying from Mm COVID-19. And if you do survive, which obviously if we're looking at the numbers, the number of people do survive, you're now putting yourself at risk for long COVID or post-COVID conditions. And we have studies that show about 50% of people that get infected with COVID-19 experience these lingering ongoing symptoms, not just shortness of breath or brain fog, but it can impact your day-to-day life. So that's what it means of um, infection-induced immunity. And a lot of people, unfortunately, don't even um, generate a robust immune response, even by getting naturally, uh, you know, naturally or, um, you know, infection-induced immunity. And there's many different reasons for that. But what we're seeing in terms of real world is a good portion, let's say 10 to 19%, don't even seroconvert and have long-term immunity. So that's why we say there's so much variability in um, immunity and the immune response by getting infected. And that's why it's still recommended that even if you were uh, infected um, previously, that you still get vaccinated because what does vaccine-induced immunity do? It provides you much more um, stable or durable protection Mm. in that sense. Um, It's more predictable. Um, And and so it's one of those reasons why we do want to recommend, even if you were infected um, before, that you still get vaccinated. On top of that, as you know, with the booster discussion, we're seeing with vaccine-induced immunity, um, immunity does wane over time. Similarly, with infection-induced immunity, that can wane over time. You can boost your immunity with the vaccine, um, but you can't boost your immunity with an infection, which means you're just going to get reinfected, right? Would you want to, again, put yourself in that risk or put yourself in that position? So there's two, two different things, um, and that's why we want to make sure the safest option is for you to get vaccinated, regardless of your previous history of getting infected, or even if you weren't, if you weren't infected, is to get vaccinated and to have that uh, you know, um, antibody response you know, um, ahead of time. So when you do encounter the virus, whether it's now or in the future, you have these you know, these cells in your bodies that are able to fight it off faster, sooner you don't have a severe outcome. Okay. Okay. So, so this is such good information. So what you're saying is there is, and, and, and please correct me if I don't have this right, but there is no such thing as natural immunity. It's great if you're healthy and you're taking your vitamins and you have, you know, balanced diet and you exercise, that means that if you were to get infected, you may have a better outcome. However, there is no such thing as natural immunity. It means that if you do have some immunity that you actually were infected. So therefore it's, it doesn't exist. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, in so many words, right? So if you're saying that you have natural immunity, it's because it was through, you know, uh, infection uh, in, induced immunity is through infection. Right. Okay. I didn't know that. And that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So how would somebody even know if they had natural immunity? Would they have an antibody test? So there are serological tests, but they're not going to tell you, for example, if you generated a robust immune response, because there's no correlate here. 
right? So if you go for a serology test, it can say, yes, you're positive for antibodies, but is it, you know, how many antibodies, right? You need a good amount of neutralizing antibodies, for example, to know that, you know, you may be uh, protected and you generated a robust immune response. So it's, it's those, those tests are not used for trying to see, yes, you mm. are protected or no, you're not. It's just telling you that you were previously infected and it has a clinical uh, you know, a clinical um, reasoning for that, because if someone is coming in, for example, with long COVID, we want to see where were they even infected before? And maybe that's, you know, why they're experiencing these signs and symptoms, but it's not used to show you whether you, um, you know, whether you're protected or not. Right. And, and the fact is, is that people have gotten COVID more than once, which shows that if they didn't get the vaccine, that they, you know, that the, the immunity does wear, right. It, it wanes. And, and, and that's so interesting. I hear what you're saying about the antibody or the immune response. You don't know how good or, or what the quality is. And so really the, the best way to do that is through the vaccine. That's right. And individuals that, you know, are vaccinated have a less likelihood of getting reinfected. So first, when you're vaccinated, I actually published 16 reasons why you should get vaccinated. So if you're looking for one, I gave you 16. And some of the reasons why you should get vaccinated is you have a much lower chance of first um, getting infected with the virus. So individuals vaccinated, even if you do, do get exposed to the virus, you have a less chance of getting you know, infected. So those, you know, um, the virus particles coming into your body and replicating. And then in the off chance, for example, you do um, get infected or have that breakthrough um, case, then um, you, what we're seeing is majority of the time, A, um, you, uh, your, your body is able to fight it off. So you're infectious for a shorter period of time. You have a better clinical outcome and you have a less chance of experiencing, for example, long COVID and so mm -hmm. many other reasons uh, of you know, um, getting vaccinated. And then those that are not vaccinated, um, they have a much higher risk of reinfection. So if you were infected, for example, before, um, you know, through infection-induced uh, mm -hmm. immunity, um, if you encounter the virus, then you have a higher likelihood of getting uh, reinfected. So there's many different reasons why you should get vaccinated, not just because of your own protection, but these are some of the things that it'll help prevent. Yeah. And, and I just want to share one thing. And I mentioned it before we recorded. Look, I, I am watching every day this beautiful friend of mine who wasn't vaccinated and she's been in the hospital for four weeks. And I've watched everything that's happened to her every day. We've had different updates and it's devastating. It's tragic what she has been through. She's a 50 year old fit healthy, beautiful woman. And she has, it is, it is attacked every part of her, her heart, her, her lungs. Uh, she had compartment syndrome, so they had to operate on her legs. You know, she's on kidney dialysis. Like this is no joke. And uh, I just think I'm, you know, I, I, it's heart wrenching because I think it could have all been avoided if she had had the vaccine you know, and it just, it's, it's just heartbreaking. And, and the ripple effect that it has, not just in her life, but outside all of the people in, uh, who, you know, who are uh, impacted by it, you know, even me in Canada away from her, she doesn't live where I do. And, and she, you know, like just the day-to-day, -day, you know, family, friends, even the doctors, the nurses, you know, her business, all of this is, is impacted because she didn't get a vaccine. You know, it's heartbreaking to me. I'm so sorry to hear that. No, yeah. I think there's a direct impact and then there's the indirect impact uh, of getting uh, infected. Um, and then, you know, what 
loss you may experience. And so the direct impact is obviously facing severe clinical outcomes, hospitalization, and unfortunately even in death for, for many people. And then the indirect outcome is it has an impact on your family, your friends. It has an impact on you know, your day-to-day life if you're suffering from long COVID, if you do survive. So there's a lot of, uh, lot of implications here. And that's why you know, the, de- the de- decision to get vaccinated is a personal one, but it's also based on knowing that you are protecting yourself from this virus. And as we move on in this pandemic, and as we're continuing to see these surges, I think it's very clear when you have a choice, right? So your choice is either you're choosing to get infected with the virus or you're choosing to get vaccinated and protecting yourself. So when you do get exposed to this virus, and you know, I think the likelihood of individuals getting exposed to this virus is increasing day by day. Um, at least you'll have that vaccine-induced immunity ahead of time. So this is something that we can live with on an ongoing basis. But it is it is taking that risk if you don't get vaccinated. Well, and 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 I, I believe the risk is not just yours; it's everybody around you too. You know, my mother lives with us. You know, she's almost eighty, and I could never bring that home to her. You know, I would be heartbroken if I did. And uh, and so so you know, you said now the risk is greater every day and now we're seeing variants. And so can you talk about the variant? You know, of course we know of Delta. There is now a variant of Delta that we've heard about. I know where I live, there is, there is a case related to one family. I don't know if that's increased, but um, you know, what are we looking at in terms of those variants? So variants are essentially, you know, mutations, um, you know, in, in the virus. And as we look at Delta, Delta is still the predominant variant um, that we're seeing both here in the U.S. and I think, you know, in large part, many countries around the world. And there's also sublineages of A1, right? So this is where you see like Delta Plus or Delta Plus Plus. These are all just, you know, um, uh, you know, the terms that many individuals are, are using that are more of a slang. But um, what it means is that the virus is mutating. And the reason why it's mutating is because there's still a lot of viral spread happening. Um, and so if we look at what the bottom line is, and what these vaccines are doing is these vaccines generate a polyclonal response. And so it's, it's helping to also, you know, uh, protect you from the Delta variant or any of the sublineages. Um, and this is going to continue to occur. These, these variants are going to continue to pop up. These sublineages are going to continue to pop up as we continue to have viral spread. So that's one thing we can be prepared for. And that's where, again, vaccination is so important because it's, it is helping you protect against all of these variants that are under uh, monitoring or variants of concern that we have circulating here locally in the United States as well as around the world. Okay, wow. Uh, so we're gonna continue to see them. Do you think that COVID is something that we're going to just have to live with now for many years to come? Or do you think that it's going to die off eventually? Well, I think right now, obviously, we're in a pandemic state, and we're going to eventually transition into this virus becoming endemic. And what this means, that's a, it's a virus that we're going to continue to learn how to live with. But how do we know we're in an endemic state? Um, well, one of the ways that we want to you know, tra- transition into endemic is when we know that this is a virus that we can control, um, and it's going to have minimal morbidity and mortality. Right now, we're still seeing, for example, in the United States, over 90,000 cases per day. We're still seeing, you know, nearly 50,000 hospitalizations and over 1,000 people dying. That's still in the pandemic acute phase of this, um, you know, of this uh, the virus's trajectory. We're hoping that similar to seasonal flu, something that we see every year, but we have a vaccine for it, we can help prevent these surges from happening. That's when you know you're more in a 
pattern or an endemic state. So we're not there yet. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to learn to live with this virus when we have much more immunity in our communities, in our populations, and again, preferably through vaccine-induced immunity. Because again, when you have infection-induced immunity, there's a lot of variability. You know, there's a risk of reinfection um, uh, and, and the like. And if you're actually looking at who's being hospitalized today in our hospitals, mm -hmm. a majority are those are that are majority of those that are hospitalized are unvaccinated. Yeah, it, it's it, is it not almost exclusively unvaccinated? I, yeah, I mean, a majority are are unvaccinated. You you are seeing uh, cases of breakthrough infection, but that also varies through um, the age. So, for example, older people uh, may be more at risk for breakthrough infection. Individuals that you know um, completed their primary series and are you know eligible for booster shot but didn't get it, you're seeing mm. some waning immunity. But generally speaking, people that are vaccinated have a much better clinical outcome. But you are seeing a very small percentage of people that have breakthrough infections that have severe outcomes or that can result in, in death, but that's a very, very small number. Right. So very rare, very rare for that to happen. Uh, is there anybody, you know, I'm trying to think of other questions to ask you now that I have you, but is there anybody that shouldn't get the vaccine? Any, any, uh, is there any reason why somebody shouldn't get it? So first, you know, here, for example, in the United States, everybody that's over the age of five is eligible. Now, if you have questions or concerns, if your child has a history of severe allergic reaction to any of the ingredients of the vaccine, talk to your healthcare provider, because there's been many people that think they have, a, they have an allergic reaction, or they actually do have a documented case of allergic reaction, they can still safely get the COVID-19 vaccine. So I would just encourage you to have a, that discussion with your healthcare provider, um, and just make sure that, you know, uh, you, what the information that you're getting is credible and is reliable. Okay. And where is the best place for information, whether you're an adult getting, wanting to get the vaccine, or you have a child that is going to be getting the vaccine, where is the best, most reliable easy to consume place to get information? That's a big question, but anyway. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very similar, right? So when I when I am planning on doing uh, an event or going somewhere, I like to look at what is the weather in my area, right? So if I want to plan a birthday party or, or whatnot, I want to see what's happening in my area. Yes, I want to know what's happening across the nation, but what is happening in my community, in my area, in my zip code? And so the best resource to go to for COVID-19 information, whether it's how many cases are we seeing here in my community, what's the vaccination rate, where can I go to get my COVID-19 vaccine, can I, can I go to the CVS down the street or to my doctor's office, for example, is really going to your local health department's website. And everybody has a local health department, regardless where you live, you have a local health department that covers your area. So I would say go to your local health department. Some local health departments have really robust and great um, websites where they tell you by zip code, you know, what's the infection rate, what's the hospitalization rate, what's the death rate. These are the pharmacies that are offering it. So one is going to your local website, local public health website to get epidemic information as well as where you can get vaccinated. The other uh, place you can go to is, you know, vaccines.gov, for example, if you're here in the U.S., um, to see, you know, putting in your zip code and seeing, you know, where you can go to get that COVID-19 vaccine. You have public health websites like CDC and, and um, the United States Health and Human Services. You also have the World Health Organization that provide up-to-date information of what's happening, you know, around the world. It just depends on what are you trying to get. Are you looking at local information? I would say mm -hmm. go to your local health department's website. If you're looking at national, CDC is great. If you're looking at international, the World Health Organization, these are all really great websites to go to. 
and all reliable information, you know, and, and I think that's the thing. We just want to stay away from misinformation, of course, and uh, and just get what uh, what are the facts so that we can make the right decision for us and for our yeah, children. and in your own in your own local health uh, provider as as well, you know, right. to get questions answered. If you have trusted members in your community that you know have good background, are credible and reliable, you know, those are those are great sources of of, of information as well. And. And, you know, I think you have to have a little bit of trust in people like yourself, in the people who are managing this pandemic behind the scenes, who are creating these vaccines. You know, I, I, I want to say that these are the, the smartest people in the world who are, who are helping us get through this. And so when there's fear, I think that it's so important to just rely on the facts, right, on, on, from places like the CDC and WHO and your, your local health organizations as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of mis and disinformation out there. So going to credible sources of information, reliable sources of information is really, really uh, important, especially in this day and age, because there's a very large anti-science, a lot of misinformation. And so it really matters where you're getting your information. Again, this is about you, your risk, your family's risk, your community's risk. Everybody's tired of this pandemic. I'm tired of this pandemic as someone that's also responding to it. We do want to put this behind us. And so the best way really for us to uh, to put this pandemic behind us is first for people to go uh, get good information that's science and evidence-based and to make personal decisions that are, you know, that you feel comfortable with knowing this is, a, these are, these are the facts. Yeah. And it's not an effort to control you. It's an effort to help you and to keep you safe. Exactly. And it's about your protection. Yeah, that's the message. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Madad. This is really great. And and I just, um, I, you know, for anybody that wants to watch Pandemic on uh, on Netflix, uh, it's it's just so you know, this was filmed in 2017 and 2018. It came out in 2020. So the timing is, you know, is interesting, but it was all done before. You can tell that because nobody's wearing masks in it. And we go back to the Spanish flu. And there's one thing that you said in the documentary that, or in the series, that uh, that is that struck me, and that was that these type of pandemics uh, cause more damage than modern warfare. That was huge, right. and That's it's right. true. I mean, it's a virus that you can't see, you can't smell, you can't taste, but it has brought humanity to its knees. Yeah. Whoa. Everywhere, and is doesn't discriminate. You know. Right. It doesn't discriminate. Yeah. Oh, Regardless of your age, your gender, your race, your country, it knows no borders. You know, it will infect whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're blue or green. It does not care. It does not care at all. Yes. Uh, well, thank you for the work that you're doing for the community at large and for for educating me and the listeners. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, and I want to I'll, I'll post some of the uh, the information that you have here for where they can see more of your work. So uh, thank you so much, Dr. Madad. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and peace.